going to continue today a study that we've been involved in for several weeks called The Exit, A Journey to Freedom. Earlier we sang a song, of I Am Free. And uh, we have a book in the Bible, the book of Exodus, which is actually what this study is about, the book of Exodus. I didn't have you turn there, and I'll explain why in just a minute. Because Exodus means exit. God intended for that book, it's clear from uh, many places in the scripture, God intended for the book of Exodus to stand forever for us as a testimony to the power of God to lead people out of bondage into freedom, out of the restraining, restricting um, aspects of sin and it's the results in our lives into the liberty that Christ has purchased for us. And uh, so we've been spending a lot of time in this book and watching God work in the lives of the children of Israel and then understanding that those things we read about with the children of Israel or the Jews apply to us as well. That's why it's in the Bible. And we followed them out of slavery in Egypt on their journey to the promised land and they've come to Mount Sinai and there at Mount Sinai, God gives to them the Ten Commandments. How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, most of us. And most of us, when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of a list of do's and don'ts. And I don't know about other people uh, around the world. I assume it's true for them as well. But I know for Americans, we don't like do's and don'ts very much. Uh, we want to kind of go our own way. In fact, our, our nation was born in a rebellion, and so that's kind of marked our, our collective psyche. And so a lot of us, when we think about the Ten Commandments, we think of them a little bit negatively. But l truly, truly, these ten uh, directives from the Lord are compassionate commandments. He has given us in these, um, in chapter 20 of, of uh, the book of Exodus, and then again in Deuteronomy, they're, they're listed twice in the Bible. God has given us some things that will help us to stay free and to live out our lives within the freedom that he has purchased for us and provided for us. That's why he brought the children of Israel to Mount Sinai so that he could give them these keys to living in liberty, compassionate commandments. And we've been learning uh, memorizing the Ten Commandments because I figure if these are things that God thought were so important that he carved them into stone himself that we probably ought to, ought to know them, we probably ought to memorize them. They're probably something he intended for us to have a good relationship with. And uh, conveniently enough, we have ten fingers on our two hands that help us uh, re remember the Ten Commandments. So the first one, let's see if you can remember. You take your left eye, close it, look at a light with your right eye, block that light out with your thumb, and that reminds us you shall have no other God before me. The second command, we use the index finger on our right hand and we imagine like a carved totem pole, something like that. And that reminds us not to have any carved images. And that means we don't put a face on God. It's not for me to tell God what he's like. He tells us what he's like, right? The third commandment, um, hmm. we're on the third commandment. There we go. The third commandment, you use the middle finger on your right hand, which can be used as a profane gesture. Please don't do that in the view right now. But that reminds us not to take the name of the Lord in vain or to use the Lord's name in a profane, profane way. The 
ring finger on your right hand is actually, if you're going from your right hand to your left, it's actually the seventh finger from the end. That reminds us of the seventh day. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Someone, as I mentioned last week, someone told me that, and I haven't verified this, but I, it, I got it on a good source, that this means uh, seven in sign language. So either way, that'll remind you. Seventh day, remember the Sabbath. The baby finger on your right hand reminds us of mother and father. Baby finger, mother and father. Honor your mother and father. The sixth commandment, if you take your left hand, the little finger on your left hand, kind of go like that, it'll remind you of a dagger or something. Don't murder, don't kill. We're going to be talking about that command today. Um, The seventh command, a lot of us have on our ring finger on our left hand, a band or a, or a, a... Wow, what's happening to my things here? Okay. Anyway, uh, that reminds us to honor our, the, our marriage vows. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Middle finger on your left hand. If you go like this, that'll remind you, don't steal, don't steal. Index finger on your left hand. If you point it to someone like this, that'll remind you, don't bear false witness. And then finally, the 10th commandment, if you go like this with your left hand and form a C, that'll remind you, you shall not covet. You got it, right? (laughs) All right, let's see. You ready? What's this one? See, you you know more than you thought you know. What's this one? Totem pole. (laughs) No carved images, right? Careful here. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Seventh from the end. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Baby finger. Honor father and mother. Don't kill. Don't steal. Right. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. False witness. I rest my case. (laughs) Good job. Yeah. Good job. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the sixth commandment, you shall not kill, you shall not murder. And this is not a pleasant subject. I'll just warn you up front. Um, But if we're going to be people who live free, live in the liberty that God meant us to experience every day of our life, the sixth commandment is very important for all of us. I don't think there's anyone in the room today who considers yourself to be a murderer. And so this is a a commandment that a lot of us just bypass because it doesn't relate to me. We can't imagine uh, going, you know, in any way that we would arrive at this point where we would take someone else's life. I want to ask you to engage with me today. Even though that might be your mindset, engage with me today. Reconsider the Sixth Commandment, and its impact on your life. All right? I need to kind of talk about the fact uh, that there are some things that this subject bumps right up against that we're not going to deal with today. One of those is war. One of those is capital punishment. One of those is suicide. Another is euthanasia. Another is abortion. All of those issues bump right up to the Sixth Commandment, and and the Sixth Commandment has some... 
some bearing on those issues, but they're all so large and so important that I'm not going there today. So those are the things we're not going to be talking about. Is that all right? But what we are going to talk about, I'm going to give you some foundational concepts about. And uh, the first of these is that uh, murder opposes God. God is a life giver. So murder is completely opposite of everything he is. So when we're talking, and I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't think that would be news to anyone here today, and I don't think anybody would find that shocking. But it is something that we've got to have in our mind if we're going to approach this subject. This is so critical because it is completely opposite of who God is and what he's about. Another one of the financial, uh, foundational concepts is that murder steals at least two lives. The person who is killed and the one who does the killing, not to mention all of the family and friends that are left in the wake uh, with grief and ongoing anger and bitterness that can overtake their lives. This is one of the reasons why the enemy is so uh, active in causing people to kill one another because the impacts are so profound. Another one of our foundational concepts is that murder is devastating to a culture. I don't need to tell you this either, but it's so tragic that we, every day when we wake up, we wake up to a world that is engulfed in murderous intentions. Every time you turn on the news, every time you look at the paper, Although nobody ever reads the paper anymore. What's that? Newspaper. There was this thing years ago. You opened it. Anyway. And we read about the horrific deeds that men and women do to one another. You know, Adam and Eve's first child, after they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, their first child, his name was Cain. And he was the first murderer. We've been living with that ever since. Sin unleashed murder on this planet. And it has corrupted so much. Think of, all, think of the layer of fear that just settles over, our, over the people of this planet as a result of that one thing alone. And what if that were gone? It would be a completely different world. It ruins, devastates our culture. The, the, we have a, a lot of, of um, men and women uh, in our congregation who serve as uh, peace officers. And not that I would want for you to be uh, without a job, but I mean, um, what if all the effort and expense that we have to uh, put forward in terms of our judicial system, our law enforcement system, our, our uh, penal system. What if all of that were gone? If murder was not part of our culture, all of that would be gone. How different things would be. So you can't even imagine because it's just a way of life for us. It's how we live. It's the devastation of this one horrific aspect of sin. And that, that covers us all, and we wake up to it every single day. 
I've asked you to consider this subject with me because it touches all of us. How many of you raise your hand and say, someone very close to me was murdered? Look around. A lot of folks right here in this small congregation. My, when I was in my um, early 20s, my paternal grandparents, my dad's mom and dad, were beaten to death in their home in a, in a home invasion robbery. A lot of us have stories like that. And it is a, it, it's a horrific thing that scars us in so many ways. You don't get over that. You know, the, the, we, we talk about, and thank God we have a, a justice system that works pretty well, but there's no justice ultimately in that situation. There's no way to bring my grandma and grandpa back. So we live with this. But I remember very clearly a few years ago when I was thinking back on, on the loss of my grandparents and the, the horror of all that. And I'm not... Please, I hope you won't miss... I don't know how to say this in a way that somebody might... I mean, the, the, the possibility for you to misunderstand what I'm going to say is pretty great. I pray you won't. But... Um, because this is just for me. I, I, this is not for you. I'm not putting this on you, okay? But I, re, but I need to say this. I remember very clearly as I was considering that my, the loss of my grandparents that the Lord spoke to me. And when I say that, you guys know, I'm, I'm not saying that I hear voices. I'm not a schizophrenic, although sometimes I know it seems like it. <laughs> but I know, but I, I've learned over the many years of walking with the Lord to pay attention to certain ways that he impresses things on my heart and mind. And I know they're from him. And I know it's not stuff I'm just making up. And I'm, so I'm there, I'm thinking about my, my grandparents, and I know the Lord pressed this thought into my mind and heart that day. And he said to me, Randy, you had a hand in their murder. You had a hand in that. And I, and I thought, God, you, how, can, how dare you? Put that on me. What role could I possibly have had in that? And, and, you know, the Lord doesn't say things to us like that just to make our lives miserable, but to get to things that he needs to get to in our lives. Sometimes, like a good father, he has to tell us things we don't want to hear. And I know the Lord spoke to me that day about that. And once I got over my ranting and raving and just started to kind of settle in with it and surrender to that thought, I realized that what he was saying was true because murder is a heart issue. And that's why I've had you turn to Matthew chapter 5. It begins, murder always begins way back from the actual act, way far back. Something, a course begins to be followed that ends up resulting in the act we call murder. And Jesus said that it was tied to what goes on in our heart. So Matthew 5, and we're going to begin reading at verse 21. And 
And uh, I'm reading from a, a paper Bible, and, and it's a red letter edition, so you can see there's several pages of red ink here. And that means Jesus is speaking. These are his words. He said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, and then he quotes from the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 20. That's why I didn't have you turn there today, because we're encountering it here in, Ma in Matthew chapter 5. He quotes, he says, you shall not murder. Jesus is speaking, he's, he's giving a sermon basically, he's teaching the people, and he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Same, uh, same judgment. Right? You, you've heard it said, don't murder. And whoever does is going to be in danger of the judgment. I say to you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of the same judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Racha, how many of you called somebody that this week? Probably nobody. It means empty head, you knucklehead, you empty head. Whoever says, you, says to a brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the council. Now, the, the judgment, when he says that you'll be in danger of the judgment, it's like the lower court. It's like a, a lower level of crime. But if you say to someone, Racha, you empty head, that person shall be in danger of, danger of the council. That's like a, a higher level a court and, um, and judgment. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you'll by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. My point is here, and God's point is, that murder is a process. We're, we're given here an escalation, not only of the activity, so... I'm angry with somebody, and that has one level of, and he says it's the same as murder. Anger, same as murder, and there's one level of, of, um, of uh, judgment. And then, but, but then it says it can escalate to, now I'm, I'm beyond just being angry, I'm taking action on that anger, and I'm calling somebody uh, a name, Racha. Now, when you say somebody is an empty head, that means you're, you're passing judgment on their intelligence. You're passing judgment on them, um, you know, they, the, how they do things. The, it scorns their mind, and it's a way of sort of calling a person stupid, right? But then it says it can escalate from there to where you're calling people a fool, and that word there in the original language, has more to do with a person's character and their worth. So you goes from anger to you, you um, empty head to you worthless one. And there's also a corresponding level of judgment that follows those. Jesus is making the point that there's a pathway to murder. 
You don't want to be on that pathway. You know, at the um, any of you have ever been hiking and you go on a on a trail somewhere, usually the the uh, place where the trail begins is the widest, the most uh, been been traveled the most. And the farther you go along the trail, the narrower it gets. People who begin the pathway to murder, most of them never reach the end. But if you're going to reach the end, if you're going to get to that point, you've got to still start at the same place. And I don't want to be anywhere near that path. I don't want to be anywhere near that trail. And Jesus says the trail starts with anger. The sixth commandment is not just about not committing murder. It's, not, it's about not starting down that path. And Jesus said it's anger that starts that process. And so the sixth commandment, dear ones, is all about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus says take care of the forgiveness right away. Don't let it develop. Don't let it escalate. Deal with it. Or the anger. Deal with that anger with forgiveness. So murder is a process. It begins with anger. It uh, moves on to be fueled by the pride that says to someone, ah, you empty head, and now you've begun to kind of position yourself over them. Ultimately, it it results in the uh, judgment passing that says you are worthless. And once you've reached that point where in your mind someone is worthless, It's a hop, skip, and jump to, I'll take your life then, because you're worthless. So, but thank God, the process that can be stopped. Now do me a favor and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians is a little bitty book back further in your New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4. The process of, that we don't ever want to get anywhere close to, of anger, to pride, to passing judgment of, of worthlessness on somebody, we don't ever want to get into that pathway, that process can be stopped by forgiving immediately. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. It's Look, we're all going to have times when anger rises up. And this passage tells us, don't let that become sin. Deal with it now. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Take care of it. Now, I know some people will say, well, I still got four hours of daylight. Let me nurse my anger for that long. (laughs) No, no, that's not the mindset here. As soon as anger erupts, deal with it then. Let it go. Forgive. Forgive. And forgive now. Forgive immediately. The process can also be stopped by forgiving completely. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Whenever, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, notice these things, whenever you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. When we forgive, we are 
uh, commanded to forgive completely, not just partially, but completely. And this process can be stopped when we forgive, even when there's no repentance. And I don't know anything harder in all of the world. There's nothing as hard in the Christian life as this. Forgiving when there's no repentance. Forgiving when the person that has wronged you uh, has not admitted their wrong and is still doing it. That is the hardest thing I know of that God has called us to do. But it represents him. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, while we still didn't give a rip for him, while we still didn't care about him at all, while we were still cursing him and living in opposition to his will, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait to say, well, you know, I'm not going to die for you. You haven't repented yet. When you are done with your sinning, we'll talk. No, he went to the cross. He paid the price. He forgave us our sins even before we cared that he had forgiven us our sins. This is tough, but it is so essential. If you and I want to avoid the pathway that, that leads to, that contributes to a culture of murderous activity and intentions that we all live within, We've got to become people who forgive. People who forgive. Some of you have heard me say this before. How do I know if I've forgiven somebody? Because, you know, you can say it. <laughs> I forgive them. And by the way, <laughs> most of the time when you're forgiving someone, it's not going to be helpful if you go to them and say, I forgive you. Most of the time, that's not going to make things better. That's going to make things worse. This is something you deal with your own heart before God about. Wherever there's something that's gotten, it's, you know, gotten stuck in your heart with somebody else, whether it's you consider to be you know, a major thing or a small thing, doesn't matter. If we're going to be people who do something about this whole issue of murder, and stop being people who contribute to the culture of it. We need to be people who forgive. And how do I know when I have? I don't know how to explain it very well. Some of you have heard me say this before. But when I have not forgiven someone, when I think of them, or I see them on the street, or I have to be, sit down with them at Thanksgiving dinner, that kind of, whenever I'm... I'm connecting with them in any one of those ways, there's something in me that tightens up and it's like a... Mm. I don't know how to describe that thing to you, but I know, it, I know what it feels like. And I think you do too. It's... Mm. I might even have a smile on my face, but it's... Mm. When I have truly let that go, when I have said, God, I release them to you, I'm not going to let them continue to hurt me by me carrying this burden and weight of unforgiveness around because, dear one, it takes a toll on you. In fact, unforgiveness, only person being hurt by it. We think, we think that it's um, 
you know, somehow exacting justice or revenge by holding that person in unforgiveness. Dear one, the only person being hurt by that is you and me. And when you decide, look, I'm not going to let them continue to hurt me in this way. God, I release them to you. When that actually happens, you'll find that that, that thing doesn't tighten up so much anymore. You can think of them. You can hear their, you can see their email address when, come up on your screen. And that thing doesn't tighten up. You know, that <clears throat> isn't there anymore. Then you know that you've gotten down to the bottom. You've scraped to the bottom of that unforgiveness. But dear ones, it comes off in layers. Don't make any mistake about that. If you're going to be a person who walks in unforgiveness, get ready. It's not, okay, I'm done. Now, you're going to have to sometimes, especially if it's really really ingrained, you're going to have to kind of scrape that thing through a few times until God helps you to get to bottom. I remember another time, pretty clearly, I was, uh, I was at a conference for pastors in Southern California. This was many years ago, and, and um, I, I was walking back to my hotel from one of the sessions and, uh, and just feeling weird, like, I'm not, God, I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm here, and there's all these wonderful things going on, uh, skillful communicators and teachers and I'm not benefiting from it. It's kind of like bouncing off of me. I'm sort of in a weird funk. You know what that means? Uh, That wasn't a curse word, by by the way. You you know what that means? Um, And so I got to my hotel room, still thinking about that and praying about that. And again, I felt the Lord speak to me. And all that happened was he impressed on my mind uh, the image of of a relative of mine very close relative. And at first I thought, well, what's that about? And then I, but I felt that <clears throat> tighten up in me when I, thought, when I thought of that person. And I realized, oh, <laughs> that's what's going on here. And that's why all of this good ministry and stuff wasn't penetrating my soul because the Lord said, this, we're, we're not going to go any farther till we deal with this thing. So I said, okay, Lord. I know I need to forgive this person, but you know they have never, they have never repented. You know that they're still doing to me what they've always done to me. And it was like the Lord said, so? You know, there's silence on the other end. He didn't have to say anything, right? And I knew my excuses weren't holding water with him. And so finally I said, okay, Lord, I guess... If you could forgive me while I was still a sinner, I can forgive them. So I got on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, before you, I release them in forgiveness. And I just said that. That's all I did. And oh man, this peace came over me. It was like, and (laughs) I couldn't believe how just that one thing just released all this stuff that had been on me. I wasn't even aware of it. I felt lighter. I felt joy seep into my bones. It was great. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. A few weeks later, I was like back in the funk. And I said, God, I thought we took care of this. And the Lord had to take me through another session of... Because of, here's the thing. I, 
I had to kind of go through this process of really understanding what I was unforgiving towards this person about. And that can sometimes take a, takes some time. And it wasn't months or years, but it did take some time. But eventually, scraped the bottom. Thank God. And now I can be with that person. I can talk to them on the phone. I, and that thing isn't there anymore. In fact, surprisingly, it shouldn't have been a surprise, but surprisingly, my simple act of forgiving that person allowed God to begin to work in ways in that person's life I could not have anticipated that have brought healing to them and restoration to our relationship. All I had to do was forgive. This is important to God. That's why the sixth commandment is there and it's important to you and me. I don't think I'm, I'm telling you anything you don't already know, but I do think it's an important reminder. As we come to the communion table today there's no greater uh, symbol of forgiveness than the bread and the cup where our savior went to the cross allowed his blood to be shed his body to be broken for sinners people who didn't care about him who people who you and I who were very uh, committed to our lives of sin he still went to the cross and paid the price and as we come to uh, the communion table today, let's be people who forgive. Let's be people to for who forgive. You know, in Matthew chapter 18, Peter came to Jesus. I love Peter, and so do you, I'm sure, because he's always so honest and just out there. And he says to the Lord, Okay, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? And you know he's trying to impress Jesus, right? Seven times? Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times. Seventy times seven. And you know, it wasn't, you know, God didn't intend for Peter to whip out his cell phone and, or calculator and figure out how many times that was, you know. And, the, and he, he was saying, Peter, there's no limit to forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is not about, there's no limit on that. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, if we're going to do anything to reverse the murderous culture we live in, we are going to be people who follow our Savior's example and forgive. This is recording number 11159 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 3, 2015. This is the twelfth message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Forgiveness.